Welcome to Now Appalachia. The Appalachian region covers 13 states in the U.S. and over 25 million people call the region home. This podcast profiles the authors and publishers with connections to Appalachia and how the region influences and impacts their creative work. And now, here's your host, author and Appalachian resident, Elliot Parker. And hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Now Appalachia. We are broadcast and distributed all across the country and all throughout the world across the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm your host, Elliot Parker, and it's great to have you with us as we continue profiling the outstanding authors and publishers in Appalachia and how those connections to Appalachia influence and impact the works uh, of these terrific authors. And we have a terrific author with us again today uh, with a brand new book that is simply fantastic. Our guest is author Carter Taylor Seaton. The title of her new novel is called Guilt. And Carter joins us as the author of three other novels, Father's Troubles, Amo Amas Amat, An Unconventional Love Story, and The Other Morgans. She's also uh, a writer of uh, numerous magazine articles, several essays, and short stories. Her nonfiction works, in addition to her fiction work, includes Hippie Homesteaders, The Rebel in the Red Jeep, Me and Marianne, and We Were Legends in Our Own Minds. She holds a Tamarack Foundation Fellowship Award for Lifetime Achievement in the Arts, and the West Virginia Library Association honored her with the 2014 WVLA Literary Merit Award. In 2015, Marshall University's College of Liberal Arts honored her with the Alumni Award of Distinction, and in 2016, she received the Governor's Award for Lifetime Achievement in the Arts, and she graduated from Marshall University in 1982 with a Regents degree in English and Business. She worked as a marketing professional for a number of years in West Virginia and Georgia, and now she is a practicing writer and sculptor. She lives in Huntington, West Virginia with her husband, Richard Cobb, and we should also include her dog, Sadie. We don't want to leave Sadie out of that uh, as well. So, Carter, uh, welcome to Now Appalachia. It's a real pleasure and an honor to have you here. Oh, thank you, Elliot. It's wonderful to be here. I appreciate you doing this. I'm glad to have you on, and uh, you've, you've been a, a dear friend for a long time and someone who I have admired uh, up close and afar for the, the breadth and depth of work that you have done uh, over your career, not only as a marketing and business professional, but also as a writer, uh, you know, going in and, and doing not only fiction, but nonfiction works, and you're back with a brand new novel, a brand new novel of fiction called Guilt, uh, and this is a book that uh, I know you and I had been talking about. Uh, uh, really for a long time before the, the 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 book first came out. And I remember us talking and you said, you know, I have this idea for a book and, and you let me know what you what you think about that. And um, it has really uh, all come together into a terrific novel that I can't wait to talk to you about today. So I know this is a story that had been in your mind or on your mind for a long time, and it's got uh, some 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 complicated uh, history to it. Can you tell us a little bit about what got you interested in the story and what the real connection is uh, to this fictional work that you've created? Yeah, the the connection is that that I like I love I love it when I can find like the nugget of a story that just digs at me, and then I have to finally write about it. And this is one. Um, I had an aunt who was a big social activist and she told me one time a story about a cousin of hers, which would make him my second cousin, <clears throat> that she was very proud of. And the reason she was proud of him, among other reasons, was that he had defended, he was a white man, of course, and he had defended a black kid uh, in a capital crime 
unsuccessfully, but she was really proud of him for being one of the few lawyers who was willing to stand up and take that case. And she used to talk to me about that, um, you know, just saying how, how proud she was of him. And she thought that it was a good example of somebody who did what they thought was the right thing, even though it didn't turn out the way they wanted. Um, so when I was kind of searching around for another novel to do, um, that plagued me. And I think it came at about the same time as I began, I was sitting there, of course, like we all were, uh, watching television, glued to the screens of CNN's ad nauseum um, coverage of the black kids being harassed and or killed by the police. And it made me think about that. And I kept thinking, you know, things really haven't changed all that much since the 1960s when my second cousin tried his best to stand up for what he thought was justice. And so I wanted to take that idea and turn it into a novel that would talk about current issues as well as the, the, the right and the wrong of, of dealing with a story that you know about and maybe can't do anything about. So in order to do that, I invented this kid who thought he knew, thinks he knows who really did the murder that his best friend's brother is accused of. But because he's a black kid and he's in the 1960s, he's 16 years old, his mother tells him to keep his big mouth shut, he does. And the guilt from that bothers him literally the rest of his life. Yeah. And, and so that's how I, you know, that's how I took that truth, which really was centered on the lawyer and focused back on uh, an extraneous character, not the defendant at all, but the defendant's little brother's best friend. And that character's name is Xander, uh, the right. one that you're, the one that you're talking about. And right. I wanted to uh, ask you this question, and I certainly want to talk about um, Judge Alexander Betts, who also features heavily in the story, and we get kind of his perspective on on what's happening here. But I read in an interview that you gave uh, to the Charleston Gazette a few weeks ago. Uh, you you brought up this point. You said, "I want the reader to spend some time in Xander's skin." and spend some time really in his character and really putting themselves in, in him, inside of him. Right. Why did you say that? And, and what do you hope that the reader learns uh, about the story and about Xander's experience if they have an opportunity to really get inside his skin? Okay. Well, first of all, um, he's black. He's 16 years old. He lives in the South in the 1960s. That in and of itself for most of probably my readers is going to be a skin they'll never be in. And I wanted them to understand, I have so many people that I know and friends that I've talked to who have high positions in the community, and yet they still fear driving while black. 
And I want people to understand that. I want them to understand that even though Xander becomes a judge and, and Alexander L. Betts, you know, of the honorable, that it's still an issue for him. And it always will be. And I just think those of us who were born white can't understand that. And I, I think reading, for me, when I was growing up, reading allowed me to live a life that I could never live. It was kind of like riding on the magic carpet ride, going, you know, Arabian Nights and all of that kind of stuff. That's never a life I would live. But it gave me the opportunity to sort of be in somebody else's skin. So I wrote the book mostly from his point of view. It's almost all the story is being told by Xander as a child. So I was hopeful that you would learn what it was like as a child to carry that guilt, what it was like as a college boy to see the civil rights movement, what it was like as an adult to deal with the court system and as a retiree almost to see that things haven't changed dramatically. And I know that you mentioned telling the story mostly in, in Xander's point of view, and we do get some some other points of view worked into the narrative as well. And I know that is something in talking with you and reading some interviews that you've given about the book, that was something you really struggled with in terms of who was going to be the point of view, who was going to be the narrator or narrators that the reader followed throughout this story. And I know that led to several rewrites, I believe, is my understanding uh, of this book, because you were trying to decide who's going to talk first and when, and who's going to get most of the page time in the book. Can you talk a little bit about that process and, and what ultimately led you to decide to tell it from mostly Xander's point of view? Yeah, I think there are two books that I think influenced me. Um, one in the theme, the other in the way it was told. Um, the Kite Runner is a story about two boys of two different classes. And one knows something that happened to the other one and is a witness to it, but he doesn't tell and it ruins their relationship and the guilt he feels ruins his life. <clears throat> that was one of the points I was trying to make. The second one was that I led read as I lay dying. And that's a story told by Faulkner from several points of view, including the dead woman who's already died when the book begins. And um, I thought that was an interesting way to tell a story because if you got more than one point of view, then maybe you'd have a fuller understanding of the way that whole situation evolved. I wanted you to see it from the, the, the defendant's point of view, which is Leon. I want you to see it from his little brother, Louis, and how he has to react to his big brother being in jail. Um, but it, I want you to see it from the attorney's point of view, too. But it is primarily Louis' story, and yes, he does carry most of the ink in the book. And that caused me, as you said, a couple of rewrites, because... A 16-year-old boy in the 1960s, a black kid in deep South, is going to talk in the African-American vernacular English. 
And whether or not you can write that successfully is a matter of many, many, many discussions. <clears throat> and whether or not I have the right to write it is another whole set of discussions. So I toyed with it back and forth and ultimately ended up with the help of a woman who, um, a black friend of mine, who is an expert in American, African-American vernacular English. And she guided me through the, the phraseologies. I felt like I knew what I was, <laughs> excuse me, <laughs> what I wanted to sound, it's to sound like, because I'd lived in the South for 10 years and I knew the sound, but I didn't want to overdo it and I didn't want to underdo it. So Dolores helped me um, kind of figure out a, a compromise that I think worked to read it well. Excellent. Yes. And I was going to ask you about uh, Dolores Johnson, because you mentioned her uh, in your acknowledgments that she was right. someone that really helped you handle the uh, the, the African-American dialect of the period. Uh, there was a, a, a passage I just wanted to read real quick from page 104, because we were talking a little bit about about Xander and, and the story being told from his experience and kind of his experience growing up in this story uh, in this particular time period. And I love this passage because I think this just really sets apart Xander from everybody else in the story, but also kind of tells the 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 real challenges that he he's dealing with. Not only now, but as you mentioned, when he becomes Judge Betts uh, later in his life, that this guilt that he carries, and he's talking to Louis, who you were talking about a moment ago, and um, uh, this is uh, on page one hundred four, and he says, "I hope you're right, Louis." I say, "I really do." He got no way of knowing just how much I hope that. If he's right, keeping my mouth shut like Mama said was the right thing to do. But if he's wrong, oh, brother, I don't know how I can live with myself knowing I'm a coward. And I feel like that passage really kind of sets for us Xander's issues and, and, and what he's dealing with. You know, on, on the one hand, you know, his mama, as you mentioned earlier, says, you know, don't don't tell what you've seen. But on the other hand, and, and he's adhering to that. But on the other hand, there's this other part of him that makes him feel like he is a coward because he's not speaking up and he's kind of turning away and pretending he didn't see and hear what he did. And I just loved that passage because I really felt like that, that showed us kind of uh, the, the guilt that he is carrying because he, he, I feel like at many times he, we get a sense he wants to say what he knows and wants to tell somebody that he knows, but, but he pulls back uh, and holds back. And um, I, I just love that passage. And I love that whole chapter, that whole conversation that he has with Louie. They kind of have an interesting relationship too. Can you talk a little bit about, uh, about that as well? Cause I feel like sometimes they're talking to each other, but then sometimes they talk past each other. Can you talk about their right. relationship? Right. Well, you know, they're the, they were the best of friends when they were children and um, now they're grown up or at least that's 16, which makes them a little more mature. And they're going their separate ways. Xander clearly has ambitions to go off to college. And um, Louis wants to hang out with the beer drinking, card playing crowd like his brother did. And so they, they do, Louis does miss that close relationship but he can see that um, that he can't hang out with him for, for several reasons. One, he's afraid he'll say something that he shouldn't. And then Louis will know that he knew all along. Um, 
excuse me. And then the other is that he feels like he um he doesn't want to live that same kind of life. So yeah, they do kind of talk past each other. Um and it's 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 sad. It's you know, I think friendships often dissolve for that very reason, is that somebody grows and matures and the other person doesn't. We're speaking with it's also a point. Um, if you notice that, and I don't can't tell you what page it's on, but when Louis and when Xander sees the young kids marching in Birmingham, he realizes even more strongly what a coward he's been. And if these little kids who are much younger than he is have the guts to stand up to the clan then he should have said what he knew. And that forces him to become an activist. And he never, ever intended to be an activist. We're speaking with author Carter Taylor Seaton here on this episode of Now Appalachia about her terrific new novel. It's called Guilt. We'll come back to the to the book in just a second. But Carter, I wanted to ask you, you you've had such a, a rich career as a writer. And we talked about this uh, at the beginning, both writing, writing fiction and nonfiction. Um, how was writing this book different? Where do you feel like you are as a writer now, having having another book under your belt? And I know you've always got ideas of things that you want to work on in the future. And we might get to that a little bit later on in our time together. But how was this book different? How was it similar to the other things that you wrote? Where do you feel like you are as a writer now, uh, having guilt um, out in, uh, in the world and, and being read and enjoyed by readers? You know, I think it's interesting. I, I think all fiction writers have to have an element of nonfiction blood mixed into their fiction blood because it does require research. It does require, at least it is does for me. I want to be sure that if I say that Blanchard's bottom was a certain way, that some town in the South could have been that way. I want to be sure that you can tell that it's rooted in some kind of reality. So I want, I do a lot of research. I did a, an enormous amount of research on murder cases like this, on um, the vernacular, of course, and on um, the social justice system and so forth. And, and of course, all of the things, you know, it's it's a little bit Florence Gumpish in that it's, you know, he's in the civil rights movement with, you know, he's right there at the at the bridge, the Edmund Pettus Bridge, and that requires research. And I think probably having done four nonfiction books helps to inform my fiction work. Um, I always say I like fiction better because it doesn't require the footnotes, but it does still require the the research. Yeah, very good. Um, and I think if if you ask where I am as a writer. You know, that's a funny question because I don't feel like, every, I feel like every single time I start a novel, it's the same process over again. It's brand new. It's hard. It's takes a lot of work to try and figure out how you want to tell the story that keeps bubbling up inside your head. And so I'm back to it again and haven't figured it out yet. 
Excellent words of advice for sure. And speaking of words of advice, if someone is thinking about maybe getting into writing for the first time, or maybe they've been writing nonfiction for a while and they want to get back into fiction or vice versa, they've been uh, in nonfiction for a while and they want to cross over into fiction. What advice would you give them uh, about starting a project? I know you kind of gave us some hints a moment ago about, about the difficulty and the time involved and trying to make sure you get details right, especially historical details. But any other advice you would give someone who is trying to cross genres? Because we, do, we don't have a lot of multi-genre authors like you on the program very often. So any advice you would give them about you know wanting to cross over from one genre to the next? Um, well, I think, I don't know about advice, but I can say that what my experience has been is that almost every one of my four novels has had something in them that came from real life. And I think we realize that when we read other people's work, that that if you look at, well, yours and my one of my favorites is Pat Conroy, his novels clearly have him in them. He is some of those characters, or he's their brother or his sister or whatever. And I think if you pick if you if you write about something that really means something to you, then it can be fictionalized very easily. Um, my first novel, for instance, if you want to talk about themes, my first novel was about the damage family secrets can do to the next generation. And that's based on a story that I knew from my family. The second one, Amoa Masama, is about a young homophobic girl who has to overcome her homophobia. And um, when I lived in Georgia, I had many, many friends who were LGBTQ, and I listened to their stories. And so this book grew out of that experience of knowing knowing it from both sides, what they had to deal with and what they experienced. Um, the other Morgans is the concept of home. Everybody thinks about what is home. You know, you don't live in West Virginia any longer, but you still probably consider it home. Um, I came back here after 10 years of being in Georgia and because it's home. And I think we always think about that. This girl gets the opportunity to live someplace and be rich as she can possibly become. And yet she has to choose. Is that what really means something to her? Or is it is it where home really is? And then this book, of course, has got to do with personal guilt. And it has to do with the civil rights uh, issues and the guilt that this whole country uh, should feel for the way we've mishandled 400 years of desegregation. We're speaking with author Carter Taylor Seaton on this episode of Now Appalachia. She's the author of the brand new novel, Guilt, and we're going to come back and uh, talk a little bit more uh, about that book. We've been talking a lot about Xander and his role in the story and kind of what we see from him uh, as a young boy, Carter, but he eventually grows up and becomes an adult, and as you mentioned earlier, becomes Judge Alexander Betts who is now presiding over a bench trial that we find out. And uh, this bench trial is really causing him to kind of revisit 
some of the things from his childhood, that period when he was 16 years old. But one of the things that, that you work into the story that I absolutely love is this mysterious anonymous letter that shows up and, and it's pretty threatening. I mean, it's, it's pretty um, accusatory and it's got uh, a, a very harsh tone to it. Tell us a little bit about, about that letter and judge Betts's uh, reactions to it and, and this bench trial that he's presiding over and kind of how all those things tie together and really kind of force him to confront this guilt that he's been carrying for so long. Well, I, the, the, the letter in a sense, gets kind of short shrift in this in the chapter because you don't find out what the resolution of that letter was, whether or not the cops ever catch the person who sent and so forth. And I did that on purpose because I felt like it was more about how Judge Betts deals with it than it is about how the police deal with it. Um, and I think my point was that he he finally has come to grips with his guilt and realized that he can no longer be inside that 16-year-old boy who considered himself a chicken shit coward. And he has learned how to stand up to that, to a threatening letter, which is very threatening, uh, stand up to the possibility of being voted out of office, stand up to public recrimination for um, how he wants, how he thinks this trial should go. And the reason it's so important to him is because it's a very circumstantial set of evidences against this young man who's asked for a bench trial. And it just reminds him so much of Louis's brother, Leon, and what he what Xander didn't do when he was a child and now he's got the chance to to kind of set the record straight and do something that he thinks is right you know one of the things back, I love back to the back to the lawyer that did something right from the you know from the right. real story yeah. absolutely yeah absolutely and you know something I really liked about um, Judge Betts, the the older Judge Betts, uh, Xander Betts, is uh, he, he's very principled. He's very determined, and uh, at some points he's he's almost apologetic in, in some of the things that he says and the way that he interacts. And I, I love that about him. We we see the the Xander from when he was sixteen, you know, sort of grow and mature, even though he's hiding a lot uh, this guilt that he's carrying. And I, I'm wondering um, when you were creating the the storyline, or you knew that Xander was going to age into Judge Betts, um, if making Judge Betts the way he was um, as he, as an older as an older man. Uh, tied directly to how you created him uh, as a young boy. Did did you see that thread running through, or, or seeing that I've got to make Judge Betts this way as he's older, based on on what he's carrying, or is that something that just kind of the, those traits kind of naturally emerged as the story? Yeah, they naturally emerged. First of all, um, you remember his son um, gets arrested for. <laughs> ironically for demonstrating in front of Daniel Cameron's front yard who just lost the election the other day but um, he sees his son with the same principles that he had when he was going through the civil rights movement and I think it makes him proud and maybe adds a little more fuel to the fire to say to 
himself, you know, I've got to, I've got to do this right. Excellent. Excellent. And I don't want to ask anything else to have you give away the ending. We'll just kind of leave it right there for now because we're running short on time. And I want to make sure uh, that I give you an opportunity to tell us, first of all, if we want to stay in contact or keep in contact with you, how can we do that? Where can folks find out what you're up to and follow you? And then secondly, where can they get copies of Guilt? Okay. Well, I'm on Facebook. I'm not an Instagram person, but I am on Facebook and it's Carter Taylor Seaton, comma, author, or just Carter Taylor Seaton on Facebook. Um, and I have a website. It's carterseaton.com. And you can see information there about all of my books, including how you can order guilt from me if you want a signed copy, or you can buy it online from the usual suspects like bookshop.org, uh, supporting your independent bookstores or Amazon. The title of the book is called Guilt, a Novel. Our guest has been author Carter Taylor Seaton. She's also the author of three other novels, Father's Troubles, Amoa Masa Mott, An Unconventional Love Story, and The Other Morgans, as well as uh, a number of nonfiction works, including Hippie Homesteaders, The Rebel in the Red Jeep, Me and Marianne, and We Were Legends in Our Own Minds. This new book, Guilt, is something that is really going to grab your attention from page one, and you're going to want to follow Xander's story, both not only from the time he is experiencing everything that he's experiencing that we've been talking about when he was 16, but as you see him age and grow and mature and become this judge presiding over this bench trial, uh, you're going to really see and find a, a fascinating character who's got a fascinating sense, a fascinating a group of friends and other characters that uh, cross in and out of his life uh, throughout his life. Carter, it's a, it's a fantastic book, and I know you worked so hard on it, and I know that you had this idea percolating for a long time, and you sat down and created just a terrific book that I think folks are really, really going to enjoy if they're looking for a really good story that takes us back to a period uh, in our history that um, we we might want to forget, but we shouldn't forget and can't forget, and uh, it's just a terrific uh, piece of storytelling, so congratulations to you on it, and as you get that next book cranked out, which I know you're working on, uh, we'd love to have you back on the program to talk about it. So uh, thanks for being Thank you so much, Elliot. I appreciate it. It's always good to talk to you. Thank you. We want to take a moment as we finish up on this episode of Now Appalachia to say a special shout out and a thanks to our executive producer of the program. Her name is Pam Stack. She makes all of these podcasts possible and, and, and helps get them disseminated through all the podcasting platforms that you like to listen to. So she does a lot of work behind the scenes uh, to make these podcasts possible, both not only on this program, but all the other podcasts that you listen to on the network. So Pam, thanks for all of your work and support. We also want to remind you that this is a copyrighted podcast that is owned and operated by the authors on the AIR Global Radio Network. And that is going to do it for us this time on Now Appalachia, but please come again next time. And in the meantime, stay well and see you someplace soon, I hope. You've been listening to Now Appalachia. This is a copyrighted podcast owned and operated by the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. For questions or comments about this program, and to learn more about the host, Elliot Parker, and his books, visit his website at www.elliotparker.com. Stay tuned. More outstanding podcasts are coming your way next from the authors on the Air Global Radio Network.